Ag State of Mind, Episode 16. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to today's episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and we are powered by the Global Ag Network. Today on the show, we have Dave Pratt. Dave is the CEO Emeritus of Ranch Management Consultants, the company that puts on the Ranching for Profit schools. I've been following Dave's teaching for years and very excited to talk to him. We talked today about his background and about the principles he teaches at Ranching for Profit. And honestly, Dave's teachings have really changed me and how I view life on a cattle ranch and life as a cattleman. And it was really cool for me to be able to thank him in person while recording this podcast. And he has influenced me to set a goal of attending a ranching for profit school myself in 2021. We talk about that a little bit and how excited I am to join that community of ranching for profit graduates in the near future. So before we get started today, I, again, like every episode, I encourage you to go find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and leave us a review and also subscribe to us there. And one thing I'm going to encourage you to do that I haven't normally done in the past is go check out my blog. I recently changed my blog domain name to agstateofmind.com. They're really the first thing I did to get this podcast started was I created a blog. And writing is one of my first loves, my first passions. So uh, this podcast is stemmed from writing. So uh, I write blogs maybe a little bit to maybe a different audience than typically listens to the podcast, more geared toward people maybe outside of agriculture, but still with uh, ag emphasis too. So if you enjoy reading blogs, go check me out at agstateofmind.com. So without any further ado, here is my interview with my friend and mentor, Dave Pratt. All right, Dave, welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you. So if you wouldn't mind, tell everyone just a little bit about yourself, about your experience at RFP and your, your work that you've done there, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a place that was really nothing more than a hobby, and I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was raised by a single parent, and the extension agent came out and just had a huge impact on my sister and myself and sent us in a much more positive direction and I think gave my mom some hope that uh, (laughs) my sister and I wouldn't just run amok. (laughs) Uh, That's had such a powerful impact on me back then. It didn't take long as an adult to think, wow, wouldn't it be something to have that kind of impact on other people? And so I, I went to college, I got my master's degree, but always with the idea that I wanted to work in extension. I didn't want to work in 4-H, but you know, we, I worked with livestock all my life. I sheared sheep. I worked for local sheep ranchers. We had a lot of sheep in the area growing up, a lot of cattle too. And my sister raised dairy replacement heifers, but I was more into sheep. 
So anyway, uh, I got a job working as a farm advisor at University of California Cooperative Pension. And in California, those positions are academic positions. You're expected to do half your job's research and half is teaching. I love the teaching. The research was a kind of a pain in the butt. Because one, you don't really have the resources to do what you want to do. And I'm too impatient. The type of things I wanted to do were long-term studies. Well, when I was in school, my professors talked about these two snake oil salesmen, and that's exactly what they called them, Alan Sabre and Parsons, and at that time, they were partners. The partnership didn't last long once they came to America. They're originally from Zimbabwe, or what became Rhodesia. Uh-huh. Uh, Alan started the Center for Holistic Men and now runs the Savory Center. Stan started Ranch Management Consultants and the Ranching for Profit School. I went to the Holistic Management Program and it was good. Then I went to Ranching for Profit and it was everything. I remember right off the bat, Stan looked right at me. I'm sure he was looking at everybody, but he was one of those teachers where you think he's talking directly to you. He's just a personal connection. And he, he had that connection with everybody. He's the best teacher I ever met. But he looked right at me and said, I can't teach you a thing. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, how do you know? <laughs> but what he was really saying is truth can't be taught. It has to be discovered. And what he could do is create a situation in which I could make these deep, deep discoveries of what I needed to do and where I should be taking things. But he couldn't tell me. He couldn't give me advice. All he could do is, is lead me to my own conclusions. He was the best teacher I ever saw. And at that first school I went to, he actually came to me one evening and asked me if I was interested in teaching with him. And I thought he was joking. This is like Garth Brooks asking you to sing with him. You know, it's like you've got. But a couple of years later, I was applying for a transfer within the university and he wrote me a letter of recommendation. And in that, he said he'd offered me a job and that I had turned it down and he was disappointed. about it. And that's the first I realized that he was serious. We had a friendly relationship prior to that, but we started where I would do projects for him. I, I was taking leave without pay from the university to go teach schools for him in Australia. And the reason he had me go to Australia because he figured the further away I went from home, the more people would assume I knew. So I started teaching in Australia and then started teaching schools in the United States. And at some point I wound up schools than he did. And when he was ready to step back and go back home to Africa, he asked me if I would was interested in running the company. And Kathy and I were kind of burnt out with the universe, or at least I was. I felt like one ranching for profit school, I'd have more impact than I would in 10 years with the university. And it's not that the university's bad or anything, it's just that the school is just this really powerful thing, and it works at a much deeper level. I jumped at the chance, and I managed the company for him for a couple of years, and then he asked me if Kathy and I wanted to buy it, and we did, and we've been running it and owning it the last 20 years, and I just sold it to one of my teachers, Dallas Mount. I am now officially retired. Ranch Management Consultants California officially ends tomorrow, but Dallas took over Ranch Management Consultants Wyoming October 1st. So since October 1st, I've been officially retired from running things. I've discovered that retired just means being tired all over again. <laughs> yeah, I could say. I don't think my dad ever really retired, but uh, he claimed to have, but I'm not sure that ever really happened. And I'll t- Most people I, I talk to when I see that they've retired and they said, well, I don't know how I got it all done beforehand. So... <laughs> I am yeah. sure you probably feel the same way. Pretty so, much. I want to talk about you. You had a book, which I think was a collection of essays, and its title doubles as the mission for Ranching for Profit. So where did the idea to, to compile this book come from? Well, I had been writing a column for 20. Well, I've written that column for 20 years. And every other week. So 26 columns a year for 20 years is a lot of columns. Mm-hmm. And it went that mailed, but then 
of course, with the as technology improved, we it wasn't too long into things before we set this up as a blog. And I, I haven't repeated any of the columns. So they're all original. They're all new. And it just seemed like a waste to have them up once. And then, I mean, you could search through the archives and piece it together. But what Kathy and I decided to do is take what we thought were the best columns, the most provocative, the ones that were most pertinent, and weave them together. I don't like these compilations where one article is on something very different than the next one of the weave something that more or less told the story. And it broke down logically into three parts, healthy land, happy families, and profitable businesses, which turns out to be our mission statement. So we took those articles and then we took more pains to make sure that we wove them together and make them more suitable for the format of a book. And it's not the book I anticipated. I anticipated that one day I would write a textbook Mm -hmm. called The Three Secrets for Increasing Profit. I haven't taken that completely off my radar yet, but Kathy said that that would be boring and that this would be much more interesting. So we're really pleased with the way it came out. We've had great reviews. Joel Saladin said if he had only one book on his bookshelf, this would be it. Wow, I'd rather him say if I only took my, off my bookshelf to read, this would be it. Maybe he keeps <laughs> it up there so he doesn't have to read it. I don't know. That's a pretty but ringing endorsement. Been, yeah, it's been really well received. So it's been fun. I've never, I have not read the whole book, but I've read several excerpts from it. And, you know, it seems like you're really speaking to people like me who want to make it a priority to enjoy our lives and enjoy the. I don't want to say ranching lifestyle because I think lifestyle makes you think that it's not a business and it is a business. And I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit. Well, well, let's, yeah, let's pick on that just a little bit because it's not a business unless you make it a business. Uh-huh. Uh, for most people, their livestock or their farming, for most of them, it's a hobby. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with having a hobby. Okay. But if, you're, if it's going to be a business... I bet you've heard people say, you know, I really ought to run this as though it were a business. Acknowledging that it's not a business. You know, it either is or it's not. My daughter is an actress and I can't describe specifically the commercials, but she's in Toyota commercials and commercials for Microsoft and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. she loves Shakespeare. And I shared a comment with her that somebody made, I ought to run this as though it were a business. And she says, dad, you know, when I play, when I play a character, I'm not acting, I'm becoming, I become that character. And I behave, it's easy to behave like that character because I am that character. How can somebody act as though it's a business? It's too much work to act. It either is and you'll behave appropriately or it's not. And then you'll behave appropriately that too. And there's nothing wrong with having a hobby, but turning a farm or a ranch into a business is the conscious choice. And it means people are going to step up to the plate and do the things it takes to actually build and run a business. And I think we create a this scary picture what would be involved in doing that? Because most of us haven't done it before. And things that we haven't done and we're not familiar with scare us. I think we've been telling ourselves a bunch of bunk about that. It's certainly not as hard as it seems. And to me, when we talk about the ranching lifestyle, if the ranching lifestyle involves fluctuating markets and uncertain weather and variable, you know, variable prices and family conflict and all these things and reliance on off-farm income to make ends meet, well, that doesn't sound like a great lifestyle to me. But when it's a business, you take control of those things. And if I didn't have to rely on off-farm income, and I had some certainty about my future, and I had a plan so I knew how I was going to handle drought or low prices, it seems to me that it would take a lot of stress out of the situation, and the ranching lifestyle actually improves when it's a business. So it, it seems that it's just very strange to me that people put these things at odds, that I can have a ranching lifestyle or I can have a ranching business. I don't see how you can have this supposed ranching lifestyle until 
you have a ranching business. I totally agree. And I've seen the other side of it. And, you know, and I've heard you, and this is something probably for another episode, but I've heard you talk about, you know, the, your monuments to tax aversion and, you know, where you're going and spending these vast <laughs> amount of money on things that are just shiny things. And, you know, when that could have been put back into to the business to, you know, make it more profitable or to, you know, do something with that money that- you- Or take it out of the business. I mean, yeah. what, where did it, where is it- Every cent that the business makes has to be plowed back into the business. Say I have two kids and one of them would love to take on the ranch and the other one has no interest in ranching. So I want to be fair when it comes to be stepping back and, and succession planning. And I'd like to be able to give something to the other kid. Do I split the property in half? Well, that's not really a good solution. Do I give one kid all my assets and nothing to the other? Well, if I was to take some portion of profit and invest it off the farm in something else, I would have something to give to that other kid. And let's say I get in drought and all of a sudden I have to destock the place. And so there's no income coming in. Well, there's no cash flowing in. There's definitely cash flowing out because mm-hmm. the bills don't stop because you're in drought. But if I have this off farm investment, well, I can put it in things that generate cash, maybe one or two retirement rental units or something like that, that generate some cash income so I can still cover bills in this emergency of drought. If, if I need to. But this idea that every cent gets plowed back into the ranch, that's, I mean, m- maybe when you're a startup and you're trying to build something that's viable, okay, you can make an argument for that. But pretty soon, you've got to start thinking about the other uses of profit. And profit is not just about plowing it all back into the business. Yeah, that's actually, I had a question about that, but I, I want to ask something else um, first. And that is, sure. you know, re- a lot of what you guys teach at Ranching for Profit is about planning planning grazing, planning marketing, planning breeding, et cetera. So what role does planning play in just the overall enjoyment, the overall success of a business like ranching? I wouldn't say the focus is on planning. You know, there's the questions of who, why, what, how, and when, right? Okay. Those are the basics need to answer. The planning is really the how or the how and the when. But before we ask the how and the when, we have to know the the who and the why. You know, who are we doing this for? And why are we doing it? And the who and the why boil down to two different things. One is, who are the owners here? You know, who is this business supposed to be supporting? I used to think that uh, when I grew up, it seemed like my life was dedicated to supporting the ranch. It was supposed to be the other way around. That ranch was supposed to be supporting my life, but really didn't feel that way growing up. Uh, So... Who are the stakeholders in this thing and how do they need to be supported? And the way we, the term we use is owner value. And how do you define owner value in a way that could be quantified? You and I were talking the other day and you said, can you put enjoyment and happiness into a profit statement? Well, you don't put it into a profit statement, but you do put it into a statement of owner value and you put it in in such a way that it can be measured. Yes, you can measure happiness. The second who are the customers. I mean, it's only a business if this business serves a customer. Mm -hmm. How does that customer need to be served? How do they want to be served? And we have to describe that. So we have the who and the why, and then we have the what. And the what is, okay, so in order to serve the owners and serve this customer and deliver this value to both of those people, what does this thing need to look like? How big does it need to be? What enterprises do we need to run? And all these things. And only after we have that picture do we actually get into the planning of, okay, so let's project cash flow. Let's look at the annual operating plan would include projecting the economics, projecting the profit and loss statement, projecting the cash flow, doing a grazing plan, and doing a labor flow, showing 
what are the jobs that need to be done? What are the tasks that need to be accomplished? And how are we going to schedule those things out? So yes, planning is a big piece of it, but it only comes after those prerequisite, those bigger questions. I mean, it doesn't do much good to drop a plan to grazing cows if you ought not have cows. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we have to answer those first questions first. Yeah, the questions you guys ask at the school, they seem like there are a lot of times common sense questions that we should ask ourselves before any decision, not just if we should be in business as, as a rancher, but, you know, of, of any business or of any life decision. But a lot of times those just in just in conventional operations, they just don't get asked. And we just sometimes I think just do it because we feel like we're supposed to or we thought it would be fun or you know, we think we would enjoy the lifestyle, but what you guys are doing and what you have done is you're really kind of peeling back those layers and really finding out why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important to us? Let, let me tell you just a real quick story about that. There's a fellow from Wyoming who's become a, a good, good friend, and he came to the school. Well, actually, before he came to the school, he married a gal who was born and raised in town. She wasn't raised on the farm. Uh, they get married, she comes out to the ranch, and she would say, well, why do we do this? How, how can we put up hay? How can we calve at this time of year? All, you know, they're calving in February. And how can we do this? How can we do that? And Glenn would say, well, that's the way it's done. This is the way you do it. And he came to the Ranching for Profit School. I just talked to him last year about this. And he came to this, this is 20 years ago, he came to the school. But he, we, he and I were driving around the ranch last year, and he told me this. He said that while he was at the school, there was a blizzard, and his wife was taking calves, pulling calves, putting them in the truck, bringing them into the house to warm them up. And, and this is a 500 cow out. This is not 20 cows in your backyard. And she called up uh, to explaining to Len what all the problems that were going on. He says, don't worry about it. When I get home, everything's going to change. And he told me that when he first got home, he said, we don't have to do it like this anymore. So... His excuse had always been, well, this is just the way it's done. He gets back from the school and he says, it doesn't have to be done this way. There is another way. You had mentioned to me the other day something about having that outside perspective. You know, if we're all looking at things the same way, if we're all seeing the same things, then only one of us is necessary. I, I love this quote. I don't know who said it, but there's a quote that somebody said, you don't get harmony when everyone sings the same note. I love that quote because we, we think that we all need to agree to get along. Well, we do things to force people to disagree, to force them to take alternative points of view, because only after arguing those alternative points of view and other ways of looking at it, can we really be certain that the direction we're going is the right direction. It's the one that's going to get us there most expediently, and even if we're headed in the right direction. So, yeah, anyway, what you said just reminded me a little bit of Glenn, and it doesn't have to be done this way. I find that story very interesting because I, it's not all that dissimilar from my own story. Um, we grew up on about a 500 cow calf operation here in the Ozarks of Missouri. My dad was a, my dad ran a sale barn. I was the youngest child, but then I went off to college and I came back, met my wife. She was not raised you know, not raised this way. She was raised in the country, but she wasn't raised on, on a mm -hmm. farm or a ranch or anything. And we got married and, you know, I started doing things. I just kept doing things the way my dad used to do it. And there were so many times where she would just ask why, you know, why do you 
calve at this certain time? Uh, why do you put this fertilizer on? Why, you know, do you cut the hay at this time? You know, for the longest time, it drove me absolutely crazy for her to ask me why. Like, you know, what? why do you not trust me? You know, that's kind of the things that I would, that's, a, that's the kind of questions I would, I would ask her and kind of that would go on in my head. Do you not trust me? But once we've got, we've been married for a little over 10 years now, and I've finally come to realize that she really is truly interested to know why. And she's really interested in helping me out to find out what if there's a better way. And that's that, I think that's the importance of asking why is there could always be a better way. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's different levels at which you ask why. And as you know, one is why do we do this? Why do we calf here? But there's a point at why are we doing this at all? And prerequisite why, where we define what is it we're trying to achieve in our lives. And I hate to get too far off the deep end. But really, if we don't ask that question at some point, we're going to turn out to be 60, 70 years old. And I remember when my son was born, it was an emergency C-section and I got the scrub and it was amazing. You know, they lift Jack out of I never smiled so hard in my life. I had tears in my eyes. And I was explaining this to a rancher I was working with. I was still with the university at that point. We were on a hillside setting up a plot. This was maybe a month or two after Jack was born. And I was explaining this to him. And I just had tears in my eyes when I was explaining it to him. And he got right in my face. And this is an older fellow, probably 65 years old or so. That doesn't seem so older now. I'm, I'm pushing that myself. But he got right in my face and he said, he's, pointed his finger at me and says, don't you ever do what I did. Big, long silence. And he says, I've worked so hard and so long and put in so many hours to build this up to leave to my kids, and they don't want any part of it, and they don't want any part of me. And then he started sobbing. Um, you know, so this question of why are we doing this, it's not just some theoretical esoteric question. It's about what is, the, what is the meaning of our life? People treat life as though it's something that's going to happen later. You know, if we, well, let, let me share this with you. I don't know if we have much time and this could take us off on a rabbit trail, but there's okay. a really big rabbit. There's a big rabbit at the end of this trail. You know, you, you see people who wear it like a badge of honor, their work ethic, how long and hard they work. And you'll hear somebody say, I haven't taken a vacation in 30 years. Meanwhile, their wife is, rolling her eyes to the sky saying, I know. They wear it like a badge of honor how hard they work. And when I hear somebody say that, I, whoa, are things that bad? Is it that weak of business that it requires that kind of effort? But you can't run, by definition, you cannot run a sustainable business on unsustainable effort. It's got to be ordinary effort. And so the harder a person has to work and the longer they have to work, the weaker that operation. And, you know, you show me a place that pays themselves what it would cost to replace themselves. You know, there aren't very many of those. That's, that's part of what it takes to make a profit, is to be able to pay yourself the wage that you'd have to pay to replace all the work you currently do. This thing has to be able to work on ordinary efforts so that we can have a life. This is one of the things I've found about retirement. I've got a lot of things that I've retired to. You know, there's no shortage. I, I have been able to step away pretty cleanly from ranch management consultants. I will be teaching a school or two when Dallas needs, I call myself the substitute teacher. When he needs somebody to step in uh, and do something, I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can. I've got some things I'm retiring to as well. You know, there is a life beyond ranching. And if what you do, is, 
Here's the big advantage that I had in running ranch management consultants. My office is about a mile and a half from my home. I'm talking to you from my home today. My office was a mile and a half from my home, and every day I'd walk to work. And when I was at work, I was at work. And then I'd walk home, and when I was home, I was home. And I have a home office too, but there's a door on that office. And when I'm in it, like I am right now, that door is closed and I'm at work. And when I'm not in it, the door is closed and I'm home. I have these boundaries. But now if you look at most ranchers, when they're at home, where are they? They're still at work. And when they're at work, where are they? Well, they're still at home. And when there's no boundaries between what you do and who you are, what you do becomes who you are. And the problem with that, the problem with that is actually several fold, but maybe the biggest is when you stop doing, in other words, when you retire, who are you? If what you do is who you are, when you stop doing, who are you? And if you can't stop doing, how's the next generation ever supposed to step up? So there's a whole lot more to this than the way I'm putting it right now, but it's, it's you know, these are not just philosophical questions. These are, these are questions with a very practical edge about the future of the ranch. The problem is we're so busy doing operational work, working in our businesses so long and so hard day to day, we don't have the energy or time or even the thought to ask these questions and, and take the time to responsibly, thoughtfully answer them. Anyway, I, I don't mean to be going too far down that. There's another rabbit trail for you. There's some awfully big rabbits out there, aren't there? <laughs> yeah. No, I am so glad that you said that, that you, because that's, and I've heard you, I've heard you speak on this before. And to me, over the last couple of years, the, from the first time I heard you say that, I'm not sure where it was, if it was a YouTube video, if it was one of your podcast interviews, where it was. But that, what you said right there, talking about unsustainable effort, it changed me. It changed how I view now, I don't ranch full-time. I, I have a town job. Like you said, you said you have to put boundaries on your life. You have to put boundaries between your work and your home and your, your work and your family. And, you know, you have to have kind of do this kind of compartmentalization where not one certain thing defines you. And I've heard you talk about that, like I said, multiple times, and it really has changed me. It's really helped me kind of, it kind of pulled the wool from my eyes to, to see what what life really is about. And I'm glad I get to talk to you today and, and personally thank you for that. And I, I'll tell you who else will thank oh, cool. you. Thank you. Thank you is my wife. She, uh, she's seen the change. <laughs> well, cause for so long I treated it in a way where she didn't enjoy it. And, you know, I was mad all the time. I was, you know, when we, she would help me work cows and I'd get mad at her for not doing things right. And, you know, and I remember just taking the step back and looking at myself like, what are we doing here? This takes too much work, too much effort for it not to be fun. And yeah. I, I, I don't know, I don't have a cardinal point in time and I can't remember the first time I heard you say it, but I know that that has changed me and still changing me. I mean, I, I still have a lot of work to do, but it's, it's really kind of, you know, making me change the way I look at things. And I really appreciate that you, mentioned that today because that was not on that was not something believe it or not that was on my radar to talk to you about today well you know we, we are raised with this work ethic you know that hard work is a great thing you know hard work is important i like to challenge that i tell i ask people or i don't ask them i tell them work is a waste of time unless it's producing the results that you need 
which now means we've got to define those results. So before we do any work, we make a distinction between working in your business and working on your business. This is actually a concept from Michael Gerber's book, great book, E-Myth Revisited. Yep. It makes a distinction between working in the business, doing all the technical work versus working on the business, designing the business that will actually produce the results you need. Before we work in it, and you know, I've got nothing against hard work. I, heck, I was a sheep shearer. I was on hot shot cruise for the Forest Service. I know how to work hard. I love hard work, but I also know hard work is a waste of time. <laughs> unless it's the results that you need. So it all starts with defining those results. No, that's great. I can't think of a better point than to end this conversation on because, you know, that if, if we are to survive as, as an industry and if we are to survive as in this lifestyle, in this business, then that's the kind of approach we have to take. We have to like you say, work on the business sometimes instead of in it. And now working in it is, is important too, but working in the business and on the business, working in the business is important from time to time, but we need to take a step back and, and work on it and work, you know, like we we're talking about asking those questions why and really reevaluating things from time to time. And, you know, I, I still have a lot of work to do on my own and I know a lot of other people do too, but if we are to ultimately flourish and survive that's the kind of attitude we have to take yeah yeah um, dave i really appreciate you i know we had kind of a hard time getting together i am very appreciative of your time and you taking time out of your schedule out of your busy schedule now i guess to uh to take the time to talk to me and it's been my pleasure there's uh two, two things i'd like to add if, if that's okay absolutely number one i have never met anyone anywhere who said, gosh, I wish I'd waited longer to take that school. So if you think this is something that you should do, check it out at ranchingforprofit.com and get yourself to a school. It doesn't matter where you go. The school is the same, whether it's in Billings, Montana or Abilene, Texas. And I'm actually teaching a school coming up in early February in Albany, New York, of all places, ranching capital of North America for a week, Albany, <laughs> New York. Wow. Um, so that's number one. The second thing is if you're interested in some of these concepts, I really do encourage people to go to the Ranching for Profit webpage. It's just ranchingforprofit.com. Take a look at some of the videos on YouTube there, on the YouTube channel. And uh, there's 50 or 60 videos. Some of them are me and some of our alumni talking about things they've done. But if the things that we talked about today in this podcast resonated with folks, I think some of those videos would resonate as well. Well, I can attest to them. I, I watch them as often as I can. And, you know, as soon as I clear my schedule to get to a ranching for profit school, because it's something that I know I need. And there's something I know that not just me, but my family will benefit from. And that's the most important thing that it's something that will help our life and help my relationship with my wife and with my kids and help us to run this together because that's so important. How long do you want to wait? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I promised my wife last year, well, no, honestly, I'll tell you, I promised her 10 years ago that we would go to Scotland. We've been married for 10 years, so oh, that, that's where we're going to Scotland this year, but in 2021. Well, that's actually, that's not actually a question. That, that, how long are you going to wait? It's not a question yet you need to answer to me. Yeah. That's oh, a question no. you need to answer. I know that, but I, I, I'm going to, but the reason I did that, I am, I planning on attending a ranching for profit in 2021. That's number, Very good. number one Very on good. my list. And, you know, hopefully it'll be somewhere close. Um, if not, 
I like to travel too. So <laughs> well, I'll tell you another thing about that. The, the best school you ever go to will be the one you traveled furthest to get there. You're probably right. For a couple of reasons. One, if you did one in Missouri, there's going to be a bunch of other people from Missouri and Oklahoma and surrounding areas there. And they're going to have looked at things. You talked about it earlier yourself. When everybody's looking at things the same way, then where's the diversity coming from? This school in Albany that I'm doing, there are people from Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Texas, and there's even some from New England. <laughs> uh, there's people from Australia that'll be coming to that school. There are more people from Western states than Eastern states coming to that school. But the diversity will be greater than any of the other schools that are held this year, I think. So like I said earlier, it really doesn't matter where you go to the school, but the one you take furthest away from home is likely to be the best one you can go to. The other thing I'll, I'll just warn folks about, every school is full this year. There's, we did a school in, I still think of it as a we, in Abilene. The Abilene school was full by the 1st of October. Colorado Springs, Rapid City, and Billings, all being held in January. All of those schools have been full for over a month now, with waiting lists for all of those schools. So if somebody is going to go, they need to get, it's not unreasonable to sign up four or five months before the class to guarantee that you're going to get a seat. We have had schools that have filled three months ahead of time. Well, I don't know if this was, I can't remember, was this an article that Dallas wrote or he, he mentioned it somewhere, but you know, you can't wait for things to be perfect for you to go because then you'll never go. Yeah, It'll never be perfect. It'll never be perfect. And that's another reason kind of to apply that to my, to this podcast is I, I know things aren't perfect right now, but if I was going to wait for them to be perfect, if I was going to wait till I had a perfect studio, I'm recording this in my son's basement closet right now. <laughs> so, you know, things are a long <laughs> ways from perfect. But, uh, you know, if I was going to wait for it to be perfect, I never would have done it. So I'm glad I'm not waiting for it to be perfect. Right, because, right. You know, I'm getting some stuff done and I'm yeah, hopefully, good for you. hopefully changing some people. Dave, I really, again, appreciate your time here today. Hopefully we can have another discussion sometime in the near future. And again, I appreciate you being on. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week. 